You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. Hey guys, welcome to the After Laugh. We have something a little different today. We have a, a video recording uh, as well as an audio recording for appreciation. That's we're so <laughs> fancy. And <laughs> it only took us half a year to press record on a camcorder. Yep, and I'm here with Tommy Wakefield. Uh, you can find him at, at Tommy Wakefeld. <laughs> Wake F L D. F L D. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Which is a little weird. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this episode we have um Rachel Wolfson, who's a very funny, funny. I I almost said funny female comic, which is a really crappy thing to say. Yeah, she's just she's funny. A funny comic. Doesn't really matter. I don't. I don't know. It's in, ingrained sexism. Um, <laughs> I also want to address something that happened this past week. I had a guy say, I'm not going to name his name. Johnny Sanchez, he said, um, dude, you got a lot of women on you. What's going on with that? You got all these women on your podcast. And uh, Bill Dawes is pro-women. Let's just let's just get ahead yes, of it. I'm Bill pro-women. Dawes, he loves women. He supports females. And I'm also trying to figure out why they annoy me so much. So this is a good oh forum boy. for me to figure it out. Oh <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I, you know, but... So here's what I wanted to make super abundantly clear. Something uh, to do with his mother, probably. Absolutely. Has to do with her mother. Uh, but what I make is when doing a – it's like when you're dating – when guys are dating, guys are looking for women, right? Women are always like <laughs> – Yeah. Women are like, I mean, women, sometimes. Women are like, mm-hmm, no, and women are kind of like, eh. And guys are like, yeah, let's do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's um, a good impression. That's kind of what it is. Guys are <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so when it comes to asking people to do podcasts – Guys are like, uh huh, and women are like, you. I mean, I don't know. That's that the yeah. Women are like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the women say yes, and then and if they can't, they follow up, and they and and they're always really because they're know, ambitious career women. They're ambitious. And they're going and places, they, and I think they're not as represented in the podcast world as men are. And there might be a little bit of a boys' club when it comes to podcasts, and I think that. Um, Women, every woman. Every, a lot of times, people just invite their buddies. It's similar to how yes. most of the industry works. I think every woman I've asked had said yes, and I've I've had the podcast. Every man has not said yes. A lot of guys who are friends of mine have been like, and then they never get back to me. So anyway, that's kind of where that's coming from. There's nothing uh, Me Tooey or uh, Michael Jacksony going on. Uh, <laughs> With that, <laughs> not that anyone would think that, but just to make it really well, you weird. know, it's in my yard. It's late at night, and I always feel like I tell everyone, "Bring your boyfriend, bring your husband, bring a taser." I don't care. It's totally safe. Tommy is is you know, you're like the white Gerard Carmichael. You're completely non-threatening. You know. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> no offense. Hey, I mean, I could be threatening. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if I should be more threatening. Uh-huh. I should lose the glasses, maybe start wearing leather or something. That will that'll, that'll make you look like you're a village queen. <laughs> <laughs> that will make you look threatening. Freddie Mercury. Okay. Um, you know, I was going to rant about the whole Michael Jackson thing. I, 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 the whole thing just pisses me off. I, 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 I hate it so much. I hate people who are defending Michael Jackson at this point. I want to mm. find them individually. And, oh, God, I don't know. It drives me. Anyway, so the point is this. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of uh, people who are the underdogs. Oh, I'm a big yeah. fan of the underdogs, man. That's why I'm a big fan of you, and I want to I wanna get blow your shit up, Tommy. So, well, thank you, Bill. And I, I, think I, I am an underdog at the moment. And I think that women in, um, in comedy are underdogs. No Absolutely. doubt. No doubt. 
And even when they blow themselves up on social media and Instagram because they look pretty and they have great bodies and they show themselves. It's still tough to get booked. It's still tough to get booked. And a lot of people actually hold that against you. So so if you're an underdog and you want to get in this show – Come, but I hope you have a following too, so people <laughs> so you can promote it. Um, no, but I've had people. I, I just had uh, someone on who ha- has only in, a thousand Instagram followers, and she's very new, and yeah. it was a great conversation. Her dad. All well-known, pro- successful underdogs are welcome. Yes, all yeah. well, all, all underdogs who at least who are at least <laughs> verified on on Instagram. We're looking for an underdog vibe, not like a real underdog. Yes, just kind of a you know the branding. <laughs> I have no idea what this intro is about, but here's the point. <laughs> okay. uh, we got an awesome comic coming, uh, Rachel Wolfson, who I She's great. Her, her memes on Instagram kind of made me laugh all the time. Her comedy makes me laugh. She's a really cool together person. And she gets very vulnerable in this episode. I, mm. I was really impressed by, I think that's another thing. I think that uh, women are more comfortable speaking about some truths that are very difficult. Krista Allen, if you heard her podcast, uh, she spoke such truths that we got cease and desist. <laughs> from lawyers for her family, and we had to take it down. Uh, so, anyway, that's all I got to say about that. For housekeeping, we got housekeeping. We have shows every Monday and Thursday that come out, and then and s- mostly Sunday. <laughs> and then Sunday comes out, and those are after parties where it, that means we have four people. Yeah, that's later. like a group. Yeah, little hang, powwow, and usually party. it's supposed to be more of a, a party thing, but it somehow gets depressing. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> the after party gets spread. Anyway, that's it. That's it. That's all we got. Monday, Wednesday. Please, please subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe on iTunes. I'm sure this is totally convinced. Five you stars. Five stars only uh, if you want spiritual enlightenment. And, uh, and I think that's it. Enjoy Rachel Wolfson and the afterlife. Bye-bye. It's the afterlife, afterlife. Welcome to the afterlife, afterlife, afterlife. <laughs> afterlife, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. Hello, everyone. Bill Dawes. Welcome to the After Laugh. I have a very special guest here. I guess everyone we have is a very special guest. Okay, now I don't feel special. No, you are. You are. This is a very special guest. We have Rachel Wolfson, who I think you did four podcasts already today, huh? I have, but this is uh, this is going to be the best one. Oh sure. no, a lot of pressure. Yeah. So, um, and Tom, you got to take that microphone because you're going to be a part of this. You're going to be doing follow up questions. Okay. You're going to be we're going to be grilling this girl. Okay. Good to be here. Can I put my feet up like this? Do whatever you want. My, can I make myself? A, are there any rules here? No rules. There are no rules. Okay. There's definitely no language rules. You oh. can name names if you want. Right. It's Please all up do. to you. Don't listen, Dad. <laughs> um, so uh, Rachel came across my um, my. Yeah, what? how did you find me? I, I think that one of the things that got you really popular, and I might be wrong about this, are your memes. Yes. Am I right about that? I do make memes, yeah. You do make memes. Yeah. Now, um, and you've been doing comedy for a few years now, yeah? Yes. Uh, were the memes first before the stand-up comedy? Yes. The memes started uh, before, I, like, probably a little over a year before I got into stand-up. So okay. I was, like, writing memes for a year and how that come about was it just something like is um, it everything that is it something that millennials do all the time and i'm too old to figure it out oh no i mean it was i've like i mean memes are popular and i was working a corporate job at a time at the time and i was like i really want to learn photoshop because i didn't um what was the corporate job by the way um i was working for levity which was the company that owns the improv of course yeah so, so i was working in comedy um doing social media and marketing because that's i have a master's uh, in marketing oh wow and um you want to work for the afterlife <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, right. yeah uh well see me after um but uh i um i was 
I was doing social media and I was like, I really want to learn Photoshop because you yeah. can do, you can manipulate photos and, um, I just think that, um, it's a good skill to have, you know, and you always want to stay on top of your skills. So truthfully, I started it to teach myself Photoshop and then it just morphed into, um, pause for effect. No, just people who are listening, uh, there, there are uh, motorcycles and trucks that come by that you won't hear, but every once in a while you hear guests go, what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> and then helicopters come looking for Lindsay Lohan like or whatever I- it is. Identifying uh, the vehicles. Or the black um, helicopters if it's what you believe. Anyway, so oh, we'll get to that later. I believe. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, so yeah, so basically um, I used it to teach myself a new skill mm-hmm. and then it ended up morphing into like this whole thing because I started um, photoshopping Tommy Chong into space and... Uh, and then he started reposting my content. Oh, wow. Um, so that's my, how my account initially started growing is this was back before like the algorithm changed and it was much easier to grow contents. So what, what, accounts. so for people like me who is, who is not a millennium, I know you got millennium. I'm so fucking old. A millennial. Millennium. Uh, I'm not a millennium. He didn't uh, even hit the so button. The yeah, algorithm, like, the algorithm changed. How did the algorithm? What does that mean? Um, so basically, Instagram and Facebook figured out that all of these people are using their platform for free, and they're not making any money off of yeah. it. And the way that they figured out how to make money off of it is to control the content um, being seen. And basically, if you're not paying as like a business or a person, like if you have a bunch of followers or whatever, and you're not paying um, money, your content is going to get pushed down so it incentivizes Uh, us the brands and the people to spend a little bit of money to have your content get shown to a wider audience otherwise like and that's why um it's so hard to grow accounts and for people to find you is because they have much more control over the algorithm and it's basically like you know prioritized off who's spending money and then obviously then you know timeline probably comes next got it so the way that you get you but it wasn't like that. It was much more yeah. of a wild, wild west a few years ago when I started sure. my account. And how that worked was if bigger accounts even liked a photo of yours or wh- your account would just be like going crazy for days, meaning tons of people would be liking your stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Your account would grow and it would just be organically. You wouldn't have to spend any money. Um, and they were all real engagement. Yeah, yeah. So it was much easier. What was the first thing that you did that because I, I, I had a meme that blew up uh but didn't do anything yeah. for my career, which you guys may know. It, it's the how a white man says N-word to a black man. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember that thing? Wait, what was the meme? The meme, the meme was how a white man on top says yeah. N-word to a black man. And what was and it? And it was me and two black comics, Eric Blake and uh, Justin Mitchell. And every time I want to say, I go, hey, man, what's up, my? I'd have Eric, a big black guy. Say, say it for word. you. Wasn't that that YouTube shit is video? so funny. Well, so what happened was it was what happened was it was um for the Chocolate Sunday Comedy Special in 2013, and a DJ in Berlin uh, just made the meme and yeah. posted it on Facebook. And this is back in the time of the Wild Wild right. West. So uh, I was getting calls from people like, "Dude, do you see what's going on in Facebook?" And I'm like, I don't know what that. And it was at two million views oh, in wow. like a couple hours. And then they're like, you got to do something about it. And I'm an idiot. So I was like, what, like, what, what, do I do? <laughs> yeah. what do I do? And then I didn't do anything. And then at the end of the day, it was 8 million. 
So I contacted the DJ. I said, can you at least put my name on it so that yeah. I get some credit for being in it and writing it? Because he's just posting your joke verbatim. He's posting, from the he sketch. just took the clip out of the show and put the meme on top of it. As and a, he put the text on it? He put the text on it, yes. Yeah. There's a lot of cancel. We're doing so, that on Facebook for a while. So what, the funny thing that happened after that was uh, it was blown up on Facebook, and then all of a sudden, everyone involved in the production, Jamie Massad, the Laugh Factor, everyone wanted to kind of. Pookie for Chocolate Sundays, they wanted to catch the catch the lightning in the bottle that was happening. Yeah. So they all kind of claimed it, and, and they took his meme and then posted it on their YouTubes, the Laugh Factor YouTube, the Chocolate Sunday YouTube, and it didn't blow up quite in the same way. But uh, everyone's like, "Oh, you should do something with it." I'm like, "What the fuck am I going to do with That's this?" So like funny. the three of us can go on the road, and you can put it on right <laughs> now. You could re-release it. Well, I I put it I put it on my YouTube, and I got like you know fifteen thousand views. I don't know. I, so, so the whole thing to me is still kind of a bit of a mystery. So you kind of early on were blowing up when it was still in the wild, wild west phases. By, by the time the algorithm changed, you'd already had a, a following. Um, truthfully, no. I mean, the algorithm started to change. I just, I had to adapt. Uh, like I had started growing a following. Like I had thousands of people at this yeah. point following me. I mean, under 10,000, but I had okay. like, you know, a small following. I was cultivating an organic, uh, you know, uh, following, if you will. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's truthfully, this was all before I started getting into standup. Yeah. And what was the first meme that you did where oh. you're like, oh, this is something I can actually make money doing now? Well, it wasn't like the first, the first meme I ever made that like did really well is um, I photo. Tommy Chong was holding a weed guitar. It was uh-huh. a, he is a guitar that ha- is a weed leaf. And <laughs> I said, "Ladies and gentlemen, the lead guitarist for the Rolling Stoned." And it was like that That's was great. like a, you know, che- it was like so great for like weed weed <laughs> memes, you know, they loved it. So hacky. But um and then uh I don't think I didn't even never I never even thought of like making money off of it because yeah. um it's like I just I never did it be- with the in- with the idea to make money. Sure. Um, you just wanted to- you did it because if I, you're like, it's I just, funny. I it's truthfully fun. just loved making memes and seeing people react to the content that I was creating. Yeah. And like, I only just started making a little bit of money off my account this year, and I've been oh, doing really? it for like years now. Yeah. Yeah, and I probably could be making more money. I just. I don't do it for that. I mean, I should. Of course. Should. <laughs> oh, I know. But, well, that's that's the story um, of every artist, right? No, I just, I, I truthfully, it's a passion of mine. It's a little, it's something, you know, that I've turned in, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And and so the memes were happening and they were kind of blown up. And then at what point did you say you wanted to do stand-up? Is stand-up something you've always wanted to do or was it a new? Um, I had wanted to do stand-up for years uh my mom would told me as a kid i should do stand-up i didn't really that's so rare most well, people kind of I ha- never get i would come sport. downstairs and do bits in the kitchen every morning like <laughs> without even knowing i was doing stand-up i've always watched comedy my parents always took me to see um plays i was always uh, you know i was a performer we were a theater kid yes uh not a theater well yes i was in after school drama or whatever but i was i played sports i had friends okay yeah um <laughs> you could do theater no i know i'm just kidding i i did i i would but i love sports i was a very active rambunctious uh, what sports did you play basketball that was my sport oh, i still yeah i played fifth grade up until my first years of college my yeah. first in first my first years of college um but um yeah so i was doing memes and then I worked at Levity for a year and I was going through a breakup 
And mm-hmm. I had tried to get into stand-up two times before this, and it was right before I so turned. So describe that when you um, try to get into stand-up, because that's always those stories are always the best. Well, <laughs> I was, I, I was, I was going to take uh, a class because I started with Lisa's Pretty Funny Women. Uh-huh. Um, one of my best friends, Sam Grody, who you met, uh-huh. he, she's a she. We were in a sorority together. She's also a stand-up. I saw her do um, perform at John Lovitz's club. The one that which was is in, now extinct at right, Universal Studios. Right, I saw her perform there, and I was like, I really want to do that. Like, I could do that. And this is yeah. before I even worked for Levity. And she'd been doing it for how long at that point? Um, she'd been doing it for a while. A couple years. A couple years, um, yeah. I think. And so um, I was uh, I was at Levity, and I was working there for a year, and then they let me go. Uh, but they, But I had... I was going through a breakup, but I had communicated to them that I wanted to get into... Um, I don't know if I communicated that to them, but they uh, let me, they gave me a position to work in the lab as a bartender. Okay. So, uh, because I think I was starting. Improv lab. Yeah, I was starting to get into stand up. They knew I did social media, so it put me on the ground there to capture content. Um, because I had worked for them for a year and like I also was freelancing. I wasn't driving to the office every day, so it was like, um, it was really cool. They took care of me like that. Yeah. And so that was the very beginnings of my stand-up. Like I was like so, taking classes. So you're taking classes. Bartending with- at the improv. That's and great. like doing mics from behind the bar. Because you're not, when you're working, you're not allowed to participate in the mic. Like if you're like at the time you weren't allowed to like, um, you know, if you worked the bar, you couldn't do an open mic at the lab. If you were on shift, you can't leave your shift to get up on Got stage. It. So they would hand me the mic behind the bar, but like the the bar is surrounded by comics. You can't yeah, be yeah. heard. No one sees you. And you, you would know? literally sit yeah. there at the bar, like yeah. making drinks. I and I would they would and hand me do jokes. I would do my three minutes and no one would hear it and it was all terrible. It was not good. Do you remember your first jokes? Oh yeah. <laughs> I do. Oh God. I I, I always love so the terrible. first jokes. No, the, um, but Bill Burr talked about the fact that when comics get started in comedy, they they work on their intuition. Like, this is what I think is funny. And then the industry and their friends and the peers and what they see tells them, no, 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 you have to do this. And you do that for a while, and then you kind of go back to the initial thing that got you in the first place. <laughs> so whatever it is that you're working in the beginning is probably there's some integrity to what it is that you... Yeah, no, I mean, my jokes are very, like, Vegas, like, hacky, <laughs> like... Hey, I love uh, Vegas. No, but like, but um, yeah, no, I, there's still stuff from my first set that I still use, I think. Oh, really? I think maybe premises, maybe not my first set, but like my first joke. I mean, all my stuff is so new because it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very new. So, so what, when you say that everything was Vegas and hacky, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, it was like, um, what was one of the jokes? Uh, people always ask me what it's like to grow up in Vegas and I tell them I had a pretty normal childhood. I was only allowed to do cocaine on the weekends. You know, like, yeah. just... That's not a hacky joke. I mean, it's just, like, you know, not true, though. Because it's like, yeah, I never have done cocaine. And yeah. so all the stuff that I talk about now is true. Like, there's nothing... Some comics, like, embellish or whatever, yeah. and I don't do that. Like, everything is, you know, true. That's interesting. There, I, have a, I have a problem with comics who lie in their act. And I don't mean on the punchline, because I feel like the punchline, you have free will to lie. You can make the punchline whatever you want. But I'll give you an example. Anthony Jeselnik, who's a great writer, he, he has a joke where he goes, my dad's just like the dad on the Brady Bunch. 
he also died of AIDS. Now, that's a funny joke in terms of the reversal, but I'm also like, did your dad die of AIDS? If not, eat a dick. That's just my own personal yeah. Did his belief. dad die of AIDS? No, his dad didn't. His dad did okay, die of AIDS. well, yeah. So, I mean, um, that's why I think that people are like, is your mom really? Like, I get a yeah. lot of that. And it's like, well, why would I lie about that? I have that exact same stuff. Well, why would someone lie about their dad dying of AIDS? You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. um, his style is kind of so, you know what I mean? I guess like every d- joke kind of is this individual thing he's building. Yeah. I feel like all of his stuff is so ridiculous. That's just, he yeah, he's amazing. It as this is um, all an act. But I've also seen that too, where it's like, I don't, but for me personally, and that, and, and if you, and that's a great joke and and amazing. But for me personally, I can't, I can't, it's not authentic for me. So it yes. won't come off as authentic yes. and people will notice that and that I don't ever want it to be like well, that. Well, you mentioned the fact that when you, you talk about stuff that's true and authentic to you and people still after the show come up and go, did that really happen? Yeah. And that mm-hmm. also, but I talk about my daughter sometimes and there was a time when I was doing it a lot in my act and, uh, and it was never... <laughs> that funny i could never really make anything great uh but people come like do you really have a daughter i'm like why would i spend 10 minutes of my fucking yeah. act talking about a daughter but as there is someone out there who makes up a whole family on stage yeah. probably yeah. you of know course, what i mean of course and so that's great because to me you know if you can do that you're a creator your story you know you can write but yeah. i i just can't for me stand-up is so much about me getting up there and finding the funny in my truth of course yeah and so that's what i'm there to do yeah got it Mm -hmm. so after you were doing the behind the bar open mic what was the first step to get you on stage oh man because you Um, said you had two failed attempts not failed attempts like i just that was that was my situation i was working at the bar bartending starting my very first beginnings into stand-up and just really understanding like the system and how the mic system works. And, you know, um, it it is a lottery or is it a lottery, you know? And then like, who do I, who should I, who Who do I I need to talk to? to? Or just like, who do, who are these people, you know? And like, um, because when you're new, it's so intimidating because these people have been here putting in work for years and here you are. So I just did that for a while. I took every opportunity I can just to, be like okay you know here's what i here here's what i can here's yeah. what i'm i'm trying you know yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. i'm putting myself out there so i stopped i ended up um ended up uh i stopped working at the improv um because also for the I purpose get, of, of like i gotta do my well, that i also got fired but that's neither here nor there uh it's <laughs> go all, on you but, can uh, tell uh, that no, story no, no, I, I really don't want to tell that story um no but um i uh i also would get a lot of feedback too that as a comic um you're going to be looked at as the bartender so um if you want to be a comic then be a comic don't be working at a don't be working behind the bar Mm. um but i mean all the a ton of great people kevin nealon you know like yeah i mean but it it, it really but it made sense because the nights that i was working are the nights that i should be out getting better i wasn't in a point where i should i you know i I was new and I was like, okay, well, I really am serious about this. I want this. I yeah. want to do this forever. So I need to put, I need to get to work. So at this point, you're off your corporate job. Off my you're corporate not job. Not working the bartending not job. Not bartending. And you're just like free falling. Like so I, I, uh, so after that, I mean, I, I 
went back to like the restaurant. Um, I started working at dispensaries because I also had my, um, I also had my uh, Your cannabis community because yeah. I, I work with cannabis. And so you've been working as a, as a monetized. I was a bud tender. I mean, at this point, um, I was. I <laughs> that's like I the started, weed of the apple genius, yes, right? Okay. Basically, uh, no. I I started creating content for a weed YouTube channel. Okay. Um, I started. Uh, I had my memes account. I was creating cannabis content that's like of high quality for YouTube. Um, so I had that side of it. I started bud tending so that was a day job that I could do so I could go do sure. mics at night. So after um, I left the improv, I was like, okay, I need a day job. Um, so I started doing all the stuff that I just said. And then I really uh, put my head down for the last uh, two plus years. I'm out at mics every night multiple mics um i'm on the road i say yes to every pretty much every sure. opportunity if there's a microphone I just got back from cabo i saw an empty mic stand in there i just got up behind <laughs> oh. there and started talking wait so you're, you're in cabo at a, a resort i imagine i mean I, we, went, we went into down we went into downtown and there's a bunch of the bars and there's a microphone sitting there <laughs> and to a comic you're like oh <laughs> there's no event happening or anything. No, I mean there there was musicians who were playing, but they were obviously on break. There's oh just a and bunch you of literally just went up there like, and my hey family's guys. all around, and I was like, I literally just went by the mic. I'm like, tap tap tap, is this thing on? And oh, it like man. echoed. It was like a concert. How do yes. people react? It's like concert halls. I mean, everyone. I was like. Hola! I have the video on and I didn't even know what the place was called and I was like where are we and they're like Tinga Tinga and I was like Viva Tinga Tinga yeah. and then I just like tried to do a couple jokes no one's paying attention except for like the drunk guy and his like girlfriend up at the front who gave me like the best support and like such <laughs> great awesome. laughs I got laughs in Cabo hey, what? I'm that's a comedia nice. in Espanol now you can call me Raquelita oh, wow. um, that's impressive so yeah, that's if it doesn't work out here, that's Comedia de Cabo. Yeah. So when you first started doing, you were bud tender. At, at one point, I mean, weed has been legal now, like recreationally, for what two years now? Yes. So in the beginning, about, in the beginning, you were doing it as a medical dispensary. Um, I was working at a medical dispensary before it became rec. Yes. Okay. Now one of the things I want to talk to you about because I've heard some people complain about this idea because weed comedy now that's legal is sort of like a new. I don't know if it's a new genre. It's not a new genre necessarily. I mean, we've had Cheech and Chong. We have Broad City. We have, um, we've had uh, like Judd Apatow. We've had yeah. like How High, you know, Method Man and sure. Red Man. Um, you know, we have Doug Benson. We have Sarah Silverman. Yeah. We have, um, you know, Snoop Dogg and whatever. But um, not that he's a comedian, but he has made funny cannabis content. Um, but there isn't there's a demand for it but there it's 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 kind of been taboo yeah i want to like say. cleaner comics can tell weed jokes now right like yes um i'll see everyone talks about weed now yeah well there's definitely there's a definite shift and now that it's recreational yeah. where people and i don't know if that makes it less cool or more cool or what um, do you think does it piss you off a little bit? Th this is what I'm getting at. I I've heard some people, and obviously not you, complain about the fact I'm sick of these people who are like identifying as weed comedians yeah. when they don't really, they don't really smoke. I don't, and they I kind don't of even like, identify as a weed comedian. They try to, because cause I, I kind of look at you. But I do, I I do I, but, I, but I think of anyone to identify as it, I think people would agree that I would be one of them. For sure, yeah. Um, walks the walk. 
yeah. <laughs> fucking blaze. But does I, it I annoy smoke, you? I smoke the smoke. I mean, does it annoy me? It only annoys me. When comics who smoke, like, like if I was also like, hey, man, I'm a weed comic, and I smoke like once but a blue there's month. so much of that. But the yeah. thing is, is like, those people get weeded out, pun intended. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those, the people like that, there's people, pe- you, the same people who put comedian in their profile and they've done two open mics. I mean, yeah. these mm. people are always going to exist. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's, uh, is it fun? Just be funny. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I've seen some really great weed stuff and then i'm like okay we get it you know we all smoke weed (laughs) tell me something funny about it yeah um i love weed humor i think i think people are like weed humor is hacking but i've seen weed humor of course yeah not be hacky i mean that's if it was it's it transcends i mean people who don't even smoke weed find it funny of course so um well i one of the things i'm i'm curious about because i i think i talked about this uh briefly with you i'm very new to the weed thing yeah as an old man uh because i was always i was kind of a nerd and i was like i don't want to smoke i don't want to destroy my brain cells dude (laughs) okay i'm at princeton so uh but then i was i had insomnia for years yeah and i got on the ambient train Mm. and every single person was like dude you gotta smoke weed or cbd or cbd Mm -hmm. so the first time i would smoke weed i'd get really paranoid okay and then they're like well you're doing the wrong strain you gotta do the the blah 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 icky grease monkey fruit loop whatever it is and so i've been kind of experimenting a little bit with indica just to, just for sleep to get off ambient because ambient apparently is destroying my brain ambient bit by is bit. terrible <laughs> okay so uh <laughs> sorry if i ruined your sponsor <laughs> no it's yeah sponsored by that's why ambient. his name dropping so I know. much uh, people don't just say ambient we do need sponsors so um yeah so i'm, I'm trying to like do you think that weed does change the way that you approach comedy or do you think it makes people because part of the reason I like the idea of smoking weed is because I'm very logical and I think very logically and my stand up <laughs> can be A, B, C, therefore D. Too logical. Yeah, and I think that sometimes a lot of the quantum leaps that happen in comedy when I look at comics who are like Joe Rogan is a perfect example, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think his comedy is better now in his 50s than it was in his 30s, by far. And he's smoking weed. And he's smoking weed. He started in his 40s. The cool comics were all smoking weed, man. But do you think that it changes your ability to to see things that maybe comics who don't smoke weed? Um, Well, I think it depends on... It always depends on the person. I can't speak, like, for everyone. But for myself, uh, the way my mind works is... uh, I feel like my mind's like a movie. Like, I just... My thoughts uh, just... (laughs) They can take off. I can create a whole movie in my mind. And sometimes I think like when I smoke, I can like slow down a little bit and, um, you know, maybe, um, I don't know how it affects me creatively because I'm very quick. I'm a very quick-witted person. I know. Person. You've been smoking, and you're, like, speaking faster than me, and Tommy's laughing, <laughs> like, three seconds after your jokes. Well, so. that's, what Kevin, <laughs> that's what Kevin Nealon said when that night I saw you. He's like, you're so you're, – how are you so quick? Yeah. And I smoke a lot of weed, so I, I wonder if I would be even that much more quicker, which I probably would be. That's interesting. How long have you been smoking weed? Um, since I was 19. Okay. And your and parents – And I'm 31 now, so. So your parents um, – so I, I don't, I don't want to go back too much to the the origin story. Although it's all, you grew up in Vegas, 
mm-hmm. your parents are, uh, and I don't want to like, re- I, you know, I had this one comic on, and I was like, so how did you get started? He goes, oh, I've told this story on 50 podcasts. I'm like, well, motherfucker, change it up. Oh, I Make it interesting. I don't care about that. Put some strippers in. I don't know. Make yeah. it so uh, you started, you started, and your parents were just like, like successful, normal people doing um, their thing? Yeah. I mean, uh, I was, my parents, when I was born, they were... Um, starting off careers as young lawyers uh-huh. and uh, like I, when they brought me home, they brought me home to like an apartment, <laughs> you know, they were starting, they were, yeah. they weren't like uh, what they are now. Yeah. So, and as I got older, they did better for themselves and you know, it was a different time. The economy was different. Yeah. You know, it was before the housing market crash and nine 11 and uh, what a mm. time, right? What a time to be alive. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had a, you know, I, I, I had a very, um, we didn't have anything to worry about financially sure, growing sure. up. Um, but, um, are you also, they, are you Jewish as well? Yeah, I was, I mean, I'm not practicing. I'm very much a non-religious person, which I'm is basically like very atheist. every Jewish person. In uh, LA. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's called trauma. No, um, it's, it's, <laughs> it, yeah. So I was, I was, I went to Jewish private school and then when i got to high school i went to catholic school lutheran school and then ended up going to lockdown that was ran by mormons so whoa um but well, yeah well so i mean was it because your parents are lawyers yeah they were you're jewish yes and now you're a weed smoking comic was yes. that transition was it a gradual one or was it something that you had to come out to your parents about and have they been supportive along the way so i never drank or did drugs in high school as my parents were very strict and you know um kept a kept a tight eye on me if that's even a saying you just um, made it one <laughs> <laughs> they kept a tight eye on me so no they're pirates um <laughs> but yeah no i i w- what i got in trouble for was like boys like i was sneak out of the house um and i got caught so that's a that's eventually what ended up me getting sent off to uh pro- yeah what's this lockdown thing okay so um there was like i think they still exist but in the 2000s, there was a very popular, uh, it was like a very popular trendy thing for parents, uh, or kids to get court ordered to these facilities that were like, um, they were like, uh, with, they're like, uh, lockdowns or therapeutic boarding schools, or there's a number of, uh, rehabs. There's an, they're all different depending on where you go. Okay. So, so back up a little bit here. Now, when I was a kid, my parents were like, and when I would fuck up, they'd be like, "You're going to military school. You're going to." Bo-. Yeah. It was like a threat. Yeah, but I've never heard of like a therapeutic lockdown facility. Okay, so like, um, how did how did that come about? Was it you getting caught with a boy, and they were like, "We're so sending you to." So I got caught sneaking out, and I just how like, old are you? I was 17, and I was at this point attending uh, school at the Lutheran school that I was going to. And as a Jew, I mean, I just a had Jew no Lutheran business school. Interesting. Yeah. going there. Because Lutheran's pretty oh, extreme. Man. So extreme. Yeah. I mean, like, it was... I First off, we had a class... Um, prayer or religion class which you, you had or prayer class which you get a grade in uh, obviously i failed <laughs> how hard you pray um i no i never it was never going to be great for me from the beginning probably because they think i murdered jesus christ but yes. other than that um Damn. no so why I, would your parents send you to lutheran because school? i was going to catholic school and like that well, was just miserable as a jew <laughs> Um, but I just, I went to Catholic school and it was so far from home. I had to wake up super early. The people were horrible. Um, my teachers were not great. And that's like when I first became atheist 
I think, when I was 15. Um, Do you remember the moment where you were like, yeah, wait. I remember the moment. I was was in religion class. The teacher (laughs) was like, we don't know if everything that is in the Bible is true. It's called faith. And I was like, oh, she's right. And the idea of faith seems fake. Um, To believe something that you don't. I mean, like I come from a. I'm a child of lawyers. We don't of just course. believe things we're told. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. you know, I I was like, this is weird. And she's right. I'm like, what? And because the Bible also seems so weird to me, too. I mean, there's like stories of giant whales and like things that just don't happen in today's society. And yeah. Like I uh, was just so hyper aware of that. Yeah. yeah. And um, and then just like the whole because con- like I went from being in a Jewish school for 10 years to then going to Catholic school and seeing how other people do it. And I'm like, OK, their point, you know, is it, it, the whole idea of faith to me. It was just like, this is weird. You don't just yeah. believe something because you're told that you entered in with an outside perspective. Yeah. And I was like, OK, well, there's, you know, so I and that's when I was like, OK, I don't know if everything that I've been I mean, I like deprogrammed myself. Am yeah, I yeah, using Scientology sure. terms? Um, no, but I, I just was like, okay, this is, um, I was very, I was very hyper aware. Of yeah. Like, I'm okay. I think differently. Maybe. So it seems weird that you were in a, you were in a Jewish school mm-hmm. and then a Catholic school mm-hmm. and then a Lutheran mm-hmm. school and then a Mormon life. It sounds like your parents were trying to get rid of you. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> they were, well, they, they were ju- like, they were like, you know, we'll even try Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> But you so, weren't you weren't a bad kid though. I no, you- I was not. I well, what I was was I was um, I was diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder for, at like Wait age a five. Oppos- oppositional defiant disorder. So when I was five years old, only only by the way, only a white woman will get given right? that title. You know what so, I mean? I was just That's always like an insulting thing. Oh no! To say as a, because like as as a as a kid, you're like you're a boy. You're like I'm a boy. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah they're fucking like ah, that kid. And I love sports. But as was, a woman, like oh, you're yes. oppositional. Exactly. <laughs> and my dad to this day, he's like, "Do not curse. That is not ladylike." Wow. So like, imagine me who like I'm not a very ladylike. I mean, I I you are. Lady-like. I can put it on, but like I'm I will I will play with the, I will go out there and you know. Pick, play a pickup game with the guys. I don't. I'll put on sweats. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Don't, don't put me. Make me wear a dress. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But like, I um, I just I had a hard time listening. I had a of hard course. time listening to authority ever since I was a little kid. Yeah. And um, I just didn't like to be told what to do because I thought a lot of time what they were telling me what to do was kind of stupid. Of course. And you know, I appreciate rules. I think rules are necessary to be <laughs> safe to have a society function. exactly but i think a lot of this world just tries to put people into boxes and labels and to try and like dim their lights and i think that like that's what they over and over tried to do and they mistook my uh excitement for sure. life as um as like oppositional defiance exactly. disorder. Now, as like do you a remember mental the mental illness? <laughs> so what was that? That's crazy. What was the moment? Because I was diagnosed with ADD. Like well, that was else. I was diagnosed with both. I was five yeah. years old. I was put on Ritalin, um, oppositional defiant, and ADHD. Okay, so when you're five years old, yeah. you were given the oppositional defiant. Dis- I've never even heard. have you heard that, Tommy? Opposition called I ODD. Not, but, uh... ODD. Mm-hmm. ODD. ADD. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's not all. I've been diagnosed with everything. Out here collecting vowels. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's here. that's a whole I'm like other. My life, I'm like a fucking uh, Jeopardy. Or yeah. is it Wheel I mean, of Fortune? Don't get me started with psychiatry. I mean, the only thing that makes me like Scientology is how much they hate psychiatry. Yeah, um, for sure. So, 
so you're doing this, and then the lockdown thing. The lockdown thing happened because of a boy. I'm still kind of confused what that is. The Mormon. Oh lockdown. no, no, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't necessarily because of a boy. There was a ton of things. Like I just, you know, I was depressed. My uh-huh. grades weren't great. Um, I was in my senior year of high school. I didn't mm. really have like a plan for what my sure. future was, and my parents were concerned, and they wanted me to their intention was to like help me find some direction yeah and so they didn't know you know what i was about to where i was about to go they just Uh thought that okay maybe this will work you know um because whatever is we're doing is not the environment is not working for and at that point you're senior high school although you were interested in in comics and watching it you had no idea that you want to be involved in the comedy world at this point um and if you did, you couldn't talk to your parents about it. I had always wanted to act. Okay. And I really, I loved, um, I did drama. I did after school club drama. I always uh, partook in plays. Um, I liked attention. I liked, you know, I was good at sports. So I liked that feeling of like people watching me. Yeah. And, um, and performing. So I, but my parents who were, lawyers that's not real that's not a of course they didn't see that as a realistic thing for me but i always knew that i would be great at it yeah um so i kind of just pushed it down and you know i tried to do what they wanted of course yeah so yeah. I went to college after, I mean, after I ended up. And where up, was college? Uh, in Vermont. So the okay. complete opposite of Utah. So Your I, parents really were trying to get rid of you. I they mean, were like, send this bitch to Vermont. They literally, like, what's the, the farthest state <laughs> on the map? Uh, New England. And is Vermont where you discovered weed? Um, yes, actually. Yes. Vermont is where I first smoked weed. And um, yeah, I was in Utah for 13 months and graduated, ended up getting accepted into the school in Vermont. Uh-huh. Uh I, um, and that's when I first smoked weed. First smoked weed. And right away when you smoked weed, where you're like, oh, <laughs> this makes sense for me. And my, like, did it make, in terms of like, my brain works in such a way that, that weed fits. I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, that wasn't my initial thought. It was my, when I first started doing it, um, cause I was very scared. Um, because my parents had told me that if I smoked weed, I would die. That first and time you smoke weed is crazy because all that propaganda has built right, up in your and head. Right, and so there's so much, uh, there's a lot, see, it's, co- they call it coming out of the green closet. Coming <laughs> out of the green closet. Well, when you, <laughs> when oh you, God. there are people who smoke weed and their family and their friends don't know it. Their coworkers don't know it. And mm. um, So your family had no idea you were smoking weed. At this point, we not at this point. Yeah. And so there's when you start when you smoke weed and bef- this is, you know, before it, n- what it is now. Yeah, there's a shame and to there, it. There's so much shame yeah. mm-hmm. and so much guilt because you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm a drug dealer. Uh, <laughs> it's a gateway drug. I mean, there's so much that you're marketed that's so yeah, wrong. And obviously, you know, the shame of letting down your parents and like, what if I am going to die? Because I didn't know, you know, and um so, and this is before like the internet, I mean, when I was in college, we had the internet, but like it wasn't, um, it wasn't like I was going to be like, can you die from smoking weed? And it's yeah. not like there was that much information out there, you know, like yeah, just yeah. there to like, it would just be like people were, you know, uh, there's no your, science. Your parents are, are secular Jews, I imagine. They're not like religious Jews. Uh, yeah, no, they're not like super religious. I mean, we would go to temple on the high holidays growing up, but like I, you know, now I would never step foot inside unless I you know 
I had a reason to. Yeah, because you'd be set on fire, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But um, so yeah, I uh, that's. So when you came out, so you, there was a moment where you had to come out of the green closet to your parents. Well, I mean that that was the thing. So I was on pharmaceuticals at this point in my life for depression and anxiety ever since I was very young. Um, because I was diagnosed bipolar when I was twelve, uh-huh. and then I got like second opinions and. <sighs> Uh, doctors were like, I don't think you're bipolar. We think you just, you know, suffer from severe depression, which yeah. I do. Um, I live with depression. And then, uh, and then like I had a doctor say that I'm a uh, borderline personality disorder. Okay. And you know, my, I've just seen so many doctors throughout my life. Um, I, you know, I'm very, my thoughts on the pharmaceutical industry in regards to mental health and a lot of other things are just mixed. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it is, um, they make a lot of money off of keeping people sick and making them believe that they're sick. For sure. I mm-hmm. also think mental health is a real thing. We just don't address it. And we there's don't. a lot of things in our life like social media and obviously financial problems. Like if you're not being fed, take like basic if your basic needs are not met, which a lot of people's basic needs are not met in this country, you're yeah. going to suffer from mental illness. For it's sure. Fact. Yeah. Um, and we just don't prioritize it. Um, we just our answer is here, take this pill. Yeah. And deal with the symptoms later and then we'll just add more pills and I'm never a, dealing with the cause. I'm I'm part of the medication generation. Yeah. Um I came off pharmaceuticals when I was 24 years old. I and, just and facilitated by marijuana. I'm, yeah. Uh with the guidance of a doctor so I would taper down cuz the stuff that I was on you could kill yourself you could, if you just it, come off of so it in like turkey. A, any opioid, right? Um, basically. It would I, it, I could break out in a deadly rash. I could go into seizures. I mean, you're just not meant to just cut 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 off cold turkey cuz I've been taking uh, pharmaceuticals since I was five years old. So got it. Um, yeah. So I now just I consume cannabis. I'm not even on birth control anymore. So Papa, why'd you look at no, Tommy when you said that? <laughs> anyway, I'm like uh, out here. Like, what What's interesting about that is because I also I don't like to talk about this on every podcast, but it does come up. So my my daughter's mother was diagnosed borderline mm-hmm. and bipolar. She's incredibly smart, and she would go to different psychiatrists and then convince them that she wasn't and that she was the victim of like a shitty family that was victim that was you know hurting her and making her this awful person so she would get the right empathy from a psychiatrist and they would say you don't need to be on this medication and she'd get off it and then for a year or so she'd be fine and then she would cycle into this um and i I don't know what bipolar one bipolar two but whatever it was it would end up with cops and her running cars in the trees and stuff like that. So there's definitely something to to the yeah, fact that she needed medication. For sure. So I, is, I never is think... Is she much better on it, on the medication? Right now she's in the institution. My thoughts so. are... Um, Mental health is tough. It's it's uh, it's a conversation that people are afraid to have. I'm yeah. just now becoming comfortable Why do you think that is? Because I think that, like anything else, uh, there's a stigma just like cannabis um you know it's a cultural thing too and cultures talking about it is a sign of weakness like in italian culture you just mm-hmm. deal with your problems sure um and i think that um it's it's also for men it's hard to talk about feelings it's mm. it's, it's um and just for people in general it doesn't have to be men it just it's hard it's hard to talk about th- the things that you know is 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 going on inside and i think that we aren't humans necessarily taught unless 
our parents or whatever, a lot of the skills to manage these emotions. Yeah. Um, we're just not. We're taught math, science, reading, things that, you know, most of us don't ever use again. Never use. We're not taught, okay, what are interpersonal skills? You know, yeah. like how do you, you know, respond? How do you, what is the appropriate reaction when you're angry? Yeah. I mean, I struggle with this. I have, I react. I'm a reactive person. Sure. But I think that becoming self-aware of, of it is half, the battle and that a lot of people don't realize, um, you know, that their, their behaviors are learned, you know, a lot of behavior is learned. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I don't think we prioritize it. Do you think, do you think that cannabis is probably the next evolution in terms of people sort of figuring out mental illness or at least, uh, how to handle their emotions the way that they don't get think, di- diagnosed. With I think illness? cannabis is definitely going to contribute to like the, the, in, in terms of like treatment for mental health. Um, and also just understanding how the body responds to, um, I mean the plant, our bodies, we have endocannabinoid systems, so we're meant to consume cannabis. Oh, hi. Okay. And, uh, hi. Yeah. So I think that, um, Welcome. Welcome. Keep going. <laughs> I want you. I don't. I don't. F- please. Don't worry. Well, is there editing or is this live? Oh, it's fine. We, oh. we don't really it's live. It's live. Oh, shit. No, I'll, I can take it out. Here, here, hold on. You guys left my jacket out. Here, ask, ask a follow-up question. Oh, shit, shit, shit. Watch the camera. Yeah, I got it. Okay, cool. It's magic. <clears throat> it's all good. Ah, well, I got some. I should roll in the, I have another one. It's also tough to, uh, by the way, thanks for the weed. I got to oh, say, yeah. I, should, I am high as shit. I always get you high. You, you do, on several occasions. Are you, an, are you, a, um, are you a, a, are you a consistent weed smoker? I used to be, in college I was like so super is, consistent so you don't do it often i got out here and i had to slow down because i wasn't getting shit done oh man but uh i'm probably like in the once a week twice a week is this your is this your twice or once a week i mean it's like if someone has weed i'll usually smoke it are but we gonna I, have to uber you home i try not to smoke on my own too much i respect that um so i feel like this was actually a good segue yeah having a guest come because maybe it was getting a little heavy was it well i don't know i, I mean it's I, I just a serious subject People yeah. don't really understand it, and it's totally in the news, and people are trying to figure it out. And yeah, I always tough. like it whenever I I meet a psychiatrist. I always feel like they're the most fucked up people I know. I just think that um, I'm just not afraid to talk about it because people are always going to judge me anyways, and um, I just don't care. Yeah. Do you feel a responsibility that like because now that you seem like you have a, a handle on it or an understanding on it that most people don't, that hey. Not like you're an advocate for speaking about it, but does it? Do you feel like in your comedy or you as a person, as a public figure, kind of want to take that, take the mantle, as Trump would say? I mean, I definitely, uh, I'm starting to become more comfortable with talking about it. I'm not, um, I'm not an expert by any means. I only uh, can speak for myself and for my experiences, um, and. I just think that it's we just need to continue having these types of conversations and there should be no shame uh, just like with, you know, um, alcoholism or drug abuse or, you know, anything else. We should we should have these 
conversation. Absolutely. So. I do think it's like the third, the third rail of, of, you know, conversation. Like no one can really talk about someone being, cause you know, you can't use words like crazy or whatever it is, but like also, I mean, for a long time I thought that my baby mom was evil and then I realized that she was mentally ill and I'm like, can't you be both? I mean, who, 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 you know, I probably, know. um, I don't know. I just, you know, I think that I think in comedy and in cannabis and that guy out there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mental health yeah. issues. Yeah. So I feel like I'm surrounded by yeah, of course. Uh, mentally ill people. Well, that's probably why sure. I feel right at home. Well, that's, you know, Robin Williams is like, you know, we all have like this spark of madness and you have to, you know, it doesn't happen all the time in your life. But when it does happen, you have to like you have to ride it. So I, I do think that there's definitely in, in comedy, there's uh, a lot of people who, who, who struggle with it and maybe they admit it or they don't, but it also contributes to like a lot of comic genius. Yeah. You know, it's like people like Ian Edwards talks about like, uh, we all shit on cocaine. It's like, if it wasn't for cocaine, there wouldn't be a rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. You know, it's where some, <laughs> of, our, some of our best music came from people who were, some of our best comedy comes from people who are struggling with stuff like that. So, and now that you're doing, we obviously your, your, your brain chemistry has changed getting off all these, all these meds. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think that I'd like to think that, um, I've been able to prevent some permanent damage. (laughs) I don't know. That's the only thing that's so, the thing that's scary about these medications is just like with like, all right, cool. So, um, <laughs> back from a word from our sponsors. Thank you, Ambien, for the for the free drugs. <laughs> so, um, now back to back to the idea of comedy. Sorry, I'm just putting this down. Done. Almost. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready. Full attention. Okay. And we're live. And we're live. So, let's let's go back to the chronology of of, of the story. Okay. All right. <laughs> So after all this stuff, you, you, you hadn't been doing comedy at this point. You're in college. Mm-hmm. You got out. Yeah. You're in L.A., improv, da-da-da. What was your first uh, gig where you felt like, okay, stamp comedy is my thing, is my jam. Now this is what I'm going to do. Oh, man. Because I feel like that's always <laughs> a big moment for people. I mean, for me, it was the first time I got paid. It was a prom show in New yeah. York. It was like $75. I like walked home. In yeah, the, yeah. You're like, middle of winter. I'm like, a pro. Fuck yeah, dude. I feel like I'm people. just now starting to feel like that. Like, I'm, I feel like, I mean, I, I got a lot of like good shows early on. I, uh-huh. You know, I, I was getting paid within my first year of comedy, like to, to do paid Which gigs. Which is great. What were the, what was your first um, paid gig? Bonkers in Vegas, a bonkers com. I don't know if that was my first one, but that was my first like out of town was a bonkers gig in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> like but you don't remember, you don't remember your first paid uh, gig. No, that was my first paid gig. Maybe, yeah. or maybe it was a pretty funny women's show that Lisa like paid us for or something. Um, and then, uh, and then I think when I went on the road and did like the dope show in Seattle, who are you on the road with? Uh, Esther Q, I went with her, or not she on the road, w- yeah, but like we, we, interviewed we her. both went with her, or yeah. we both went and did that. Um, and then, because uh, I made like a decent a decent money that weekend, and I was like, holy shit. Holy shit, this can you be know? a real thing. And then uh, this year, Jessamy took us down to the store, and I got to, yeah, I got to like do five shows with her and made 
good money doing that. And I was like, holy fuck, like this is amazing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And I'm still like, is this, how long is this gonna, how long is this gonna last? I think you a know? lot of comics feel that way. They go, like, are, are you hooked up now? You work with Kevin Nealon? I mean, I, Kevin found me from uh, the, my video on Laugh Factory. And I think that's like where he started following me from. Um, but yeah. And he took you in the road as well? No, he, I just, I did a show when I saw you. Like, okay. I did a show that night. I think the first the first joke I saw you do, and it might have been from the Laugh Factor Instagram, you said that, and I was like, this is some edgy fucking shit. You said... That's how my dad describes me as and, well. And I'm going to mutilate this joke, by the way. But <laughs> you said you said that you think that tran, transgender people are like black, blackface for women? That's not my joke, Okay, what? You. What? No, what was that? <laughs> That wasn't your joke? No. Thank oh God. my God. I just. <laughs> Whose joke this, is that? Oh my God. I just saw that. I was like, I thought that was you. No. I okay, did say, I have said that I was a big tomboy growing up. Now they call it transgender. That's pretty funny. What was the first joke you did where you felt like, uh, th- like this is, this is a, a great fucking joke? My OJ joke. What is your OJ joke? Uh, well, my mom's a judge. My dad's a district attorney. My sister is a prosecutor. And then my aunt fucks cops. <laughs> so basically my life is just one giant law and order episode. That's great. Um, my mom, she's the judge that put OJ Simpson in prison. Is she really? Yeah. So basically OJ Simpson got sent to prison by the same woman who sent me to my room. That's good. But we like got that. out. And it's, and it's clean as well. But, but that, but we got out is like the big punchline that, but yeah, yeah. That's Cause, good. but when I first wrote it, he was still in jail. So it used uh-huh. to be, but I got out. Okay. And then he got out, and then it changed to, but we got out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. So, yeah, I love that joke. And I just, I can't wait to see whatever. What, I mean, it has <laughs> like 3.4 million views on the Laugh Factory Instagram, not to count numbers. Whoa. No, please. But that's great. I was like, that's and th- and a lot was, of people. <laughs> it is, absolutely. Now, have you, have you been pursuing, uh, in terms of your comedy, mm-hmm. have you been pursuing sort of... Uh, different avenues of tv are you trying to like are you still an actress as well i mean i'm never i was never an actress i just did that growing i like acted and did plays growing up i would like to start going out for auditions and um you know doing more stuff like that do you think that it there are a lot of comics who think like hey man you either got to be a comic or you got to be an actor you can't really be both you have to be pure I hear that all. You never hear that. Really? Tommy? I oh think my that's god! Silly. I think it's. I think of- I do see a lot of um, actors who are clearly actors. Yeah. Getting into comedy, and it's like, okay, you're gonna do this for a little bit, uh-huh. but you're gonna go back to acting because that's yeah. what you're like, meant to they do. They take breaks. It's not something. It's not like a lifestyle. Because they need to develop their personality. Because they can't yeah. be themselves. They have to be other people. Whereas yeah. us comedians. I'm just trying to be myself. Yeah, I do. You know? I do feel like there's a lot of, particularly right now, there's a lot of really well-known actors, and you can we can name them. I mean, like Jeremy Piven, Michael Rappaport, Marilyn Raksub. Was that for? But it's got to be for them um, so interesting because they've. I'm. I get. It's so cool that they can authentically play a character and that yeah. I'm like, oh, when I look at Jeremy Piven, I look at he's already gold to me. That yeah, of care, course. You know, I'm like, yeah. who's Jeremy? Um, but he's because he was such a great actor. Um, how challenging it is for them to just like go on there and authentically try and be themselves and be funny. And yeah, I mean, that what a challenge that is, because, you know, it doesn't always 
work the reverse. I mean, I think Jeremy is Jeremy Piven's hilarious. I think he's great and super talented, but there's not all actors can do what he does and yeah. transition into comedy. Yeah. You got to so. like deprogram the audience's expectations for you too. What do you mean by that? Well, they look at him as Ari Gold, so he, his challenge exactly is okay, well who's Jeremy Piven? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I haven't really has I don't know, I haven't seen his comedy recently has he He's so he he's just he's so so high energy and character and like he he or he can he's great. I mean, you can tell that he has you can tell when someone has those skills as an yeah. actor and they can go in and out of characters and they have that high energy and it's like putting on a one man show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and know. I feel like I get up there and I'm like I smoke a lot of weed, you know. <laughs> but that's also you know, when I was when I was first starting everyone was like you got to develop your your comedy character. Yeah, yeah, like your th- your thing, whatever your thing is, you can't just be like if you're a white guy. It's like, well, you got to be the douchey white guy, mm-hmm. or you got to be. You can't just be like a white guy who's just on the planet doing stuff. You have to either have have an They're angle. Like, what kind of douche are you? Yeah, what kind of douche are you? The professional. So it's douche? funny because then I kind of like whenever I whenever I lean into uh, uh, just my like the half white half trash thing, I get more traction from audiences because they go, okay. I know what this guy is. Yeah. You have to find your inner douche. And I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know if that's sometimes it kind of bugs me. But a lot of people in the comedy world, there's a lot of talk about you have to find your th- your, your niche. voice. It, it, yeah, your voice. But also, what is your what's your need? Yeah. And I think uh, that's the challenge. A lot of people, they spend 10 years and don't know. Yeah. I think. But that's the thing is like there are people Everyone has their different approach. Everyone has their different idea, like what you said. Um, and there are people who will spend years not writing authentically, you know, yeah. and it doesn't work for them. And it's like, why don't you switch it up? You know? Yeah. Um, I think people find humor in, I think to be original is so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so hard to be original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kind of it kind of goes against the idea of, like, finding a character, because a character is going to be a, some sort of trope, right? Right. So, I guess we're all kind of like, what's your character, Tommy? What is my character? Are you the sad sack? <laughs> not really. I did that for a while when I started. Cause I mean, I does got anyone just, no one joke. is just one character. We're, we're not, well, we're so, we're so, we're so many. It's more of a voice than a character. We're you know so many I mean? different. We're so we're such complex beings. At any yeah. moment, we could be something else, and your comedy can reflect that. Yeah, it, your comedy reflects, you know, your life. As I mean, I, to me personally, my comedy reflects my life. Yeah, and I can only imagine if I had started any earlier what my comedy would have been. For sure, and I can only imagine what it will be. Mm-hmm. And like today, I mean, I had a shitty day, and I walk into these two podcasts and i'm like here spilling my guts who knows if i had a better day what you would have gotten or you know what i'm saying like you just you never know it's it's all come it comes from you know at least mine comes from me and whatever i'm going through yeah yeah no that makes sense moment now one thing i also want to talk to you about i want to talk to you about your interest in conspiracies because i feel like recently conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. and conspiracy comics have become more of a thing and i don't really know what we're the in a me- post-truth era well um what the mechanism behind that is really it's funny you mentioned that because 
as I've always been interested in conspiracy theories as a kid, I grew up in Las Vegas. I was always interested in aliens, um, Area 51. Area 51, of course, yeah. I watched the X-Files as a kid. Like, I was a very curious kid. My, I asked a lot of questions. That's what I learned from my parents. Yeah, of you course, You know, when you come lawyers. from lawyers, you just question everything. <laughs> so, um, I've always been fascinated with, um, with that, with, with that. Um, <laughs> I do think, though, just like with anything else, like, there's good conspiracy theories and then there's toxic conspiracy theories and yeah. Yeah. toxic um beliefs or yeah. whatever and i think that the internet has exacerbated that whereas before you know if you ever wanted to find this information like my mom would when she, <laughs> i don't even know where she found like the map of area 50 like she would have to go out to like one of those weird ass stores yes and get one there. You know, and now you can just go into a rabbit hole on the internet and find <laughs> millions of other people who think like you, and then yeah. you start to think, okay, well, maybe, maybe it's real. Yeah. So, um, it's a dangerous do, line. Do you? Because I, I did listen. And to also, you. as a stoner, as in the cannabis, it's Absolutely. natural. It's natural for people who, because it, 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 it. I mean, what we are told is not true. Yeah. And the cannabis community is a complete representation of that and also yeah. the pharmaceutical industry and so naturally yeah i question things well because i saw i i listened to your uh your interview with sam Tripoli, and yeah. everyone loves sam and what's not to love about sam yeah he's great and he's very passionate about there's something about it too that i kind of go i don't know if he really believes in everything he says because there is definitely a performance aspect to believing in conspiracy because it's thrilling and dangerous and Ooh, look what it could be. And so if you kind of dive into it just as a performer and as a comic, it's it's a very fun place to be. Right. You know, you course. can talk about conspiracy theories forever with people and you can get in really heated arguments about it. But then I don't know where it gets to the point where it becomes starts becoming dangerous. But I, I I've definitely there are people in my life. Like there was a a, a girl I dated briefly and uh she was really beautiful and really cool and smart, but she believed fucking every conspiracy theory she believed in i mean moon landing was a hoax now, of course that's the bottom line right, right, right. anyone who believes in conspiracy will believe that that was a hoax uh hmm. jfk was she thought the driver thought jfk she showed me a video where the driver goes like like she, and i'm like that well, video is photoshopped the thing about bitch. the moon landings because that conspiracy theory is so interesting to me um because i kind of i i think that we went to the moon yeah. but i just don't know <laughs> if what they broadcasted to the people is because like have you have you read up on the theory with the stanley kubrick stuff and have yeah, you heard about course, this of course of course and they've been able so to recreate it almost and then perfectly. like through well and also like through the shining he like left clues supposedly i don't have you ever seen? i didn't know that there's okay so is there's that room <laughs> there's, three through seven yeah, the doc- such oh. a, there's so many and there's other documentaries about it but it's fascinating to me i thought that theory was fascinating um because i do think that we went to the moon and i do think that um you know, but I think I have you seen like Buzz Aldrin and these pe- they're goons. They're like they just you <laughs> you took a ship to the yeah. moon. You are Mr. Rogers. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like they're Corn Fred, the Nebraska just, boys. Yeah. Like I, when I I would rather like like Neil deGrasse Tyson. He mm. could go to the moon. You yeah, know? for sure. I get that. <laughs> Joe Rogan, Elon Musk. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. believable, you know. Yeah. Um, but I just said Joe Rogan. I was I would. <laughs> believe if joe rogan went to the moon yeah. but um it's 
But then again, that's what I'm saying is like, that was a different time where the information was so much more controlled and think about, you know, information sharing of information now and the problems that we're having. And, um, so it's an interesting time. Like, I think that, so back in the day, and let's say the day was fifties and sixties, a Tuesday for argument, not to me, um, people believed in the government and they believed in authority and now they believe in their peers. Hmm. And once you've hit the tipping point where people will believe in their, and I think it's also a breakdown in the well, fabric of society given, and religion. We've blah, blah. given citizens, there's the, the idea of citizen journalism. Anyone with a phone can be a journalist nowadays. Exactly. Um, you know, so the information is just in the power of, uh, or is in the hands of so much, so many more people. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can edit a Wikipedia page. You can edit. Yeah. And you can Photoshop pretty much anything yeah. or alter any video. Mm-hmm. So if you say, hey, look at this laser beam causing wildfires, um, it looks pretty convincing. Yeah. And how the fuck am I going to know if it's convincing or not? So, so many th- of the online news sources look exactly alike. Yeah. And also, the news is guilty of sharing information that is like, how many times have, you, have they put up a picture of a wrong person? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it happens. There's, they're the... It, it happens. You yeah. Know? So now that now that we don't believe in our government because the government fucked up with Kennedy, it fucked up with the Vietnam War, it fucked up with Watergate. The, the, there's fucked a new generation, weed. I think, from like born in the 80s on millennial generation that has no reason to believe the government is telling the truth. Like my dad is of the generation that's like, yep, the government, yep, yeah. the, the Russians are bad, Americans good, blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of people and a lot of the, the Trump supporters still kind of in the Midwest who have her kicking and screaming 21st century, they kind of do believe in like God and country and the idea of God and country mm-hmm. and that everything is generated from that, that precept that we did this because of God and country mm-hmm. where you went to Iraq because of God and country. And if you don't believe in God and country, cause you're in that gen- new generation, then everything has to be based on the antithesis of what we're being fed. And I think that's a kind of a crazy, cause that's sort of, I feel like that's where comedy is now. I feel like that's where, people's minds are now like nothing nothing the authority says is correct so everything has to be challenged which is kind of good i guess in terms of yeah but yeah. so do you believe in direct energy weapons is Carl, that something that you kind of believe well, or you they are worth? real if you look up lockheed martin's website they make yeah. these these weapons exist yeah for sure you can look them up it's a fact yes yeah. um the government has or whoever i mean they have um they have technology that we don't even know about. Yeah. And you th- they, we, my parents work for the government. I mean, there's things that they probably know that I'll never, you know what I mean? Like sure. Obviously I'll never know or, and, and there's things that they'll never know cause they're very low level. And I mean, we're just as, as, but there's, but that's the thing is because of the internet, we have people who have previously worked in positions and, People, I mean, but who's to say what is real and what is not? Yeah. But yeah, if you go on Lockheed Martin's website, they talk about direct energy weapons. It's talked about in the news. We yeah. possess this technology, whether or not it's used for causing wildfires. It's probably used for, you know, it's used for something. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, we do, they do go- spray stuff in our ozone to control weather. Yeah, the chemtrail. What do you think about the chemtrail Chemtrails thing? are real. They spray, they, it's, it's a real thing. You can look this up on the internet. I mean, the thing is, is like... We know that they have the ability and the pa- and access to this stuff. Yeah. Um. Obviously, they're not going to come out and be like, "Hey, we're doing this." Why would sure. Why would they do that? Do we? I mean, who 
who really knows? All we know, all I know is that shit is happening now that wasn't happening when I was a kid. Yeah. And wasn't happening when my parents were kids. Yeah. But I'm sure that's the same for every generation. Yeah. You know, that's just we live in a different world. It's. Yeah, I do think that people used to believe in the idea of authority and the idea of government, and I don't think that's really... But I think that's also because there wasn't that much access to outside information. information. Yeah. The information was so much more controlled. It was like they got their information from the parents and the news. Yeah, exactly. And now people feel... It's weird, because I, 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 I kind of want to believe in conspiracy theory, because it is kind of sexy, and it's kind of cool. But and I mean, <laughs> what you think is a conspiracy... There's... You have to... You have to acknowledge that there are things that happen in this world and in this country um, that there are bad people in the world in the country. Yeah. And they have a lot of money and there are things that we'll never know about that we will literally never know. And we're just never going to be privileged to that information, whatever it could be. It could it could be, you know, whatever it is. And that's just what it is. Yeah. (laughs) and and like i mean there it has been proven that things that our government and people in authority and people that we have trusted have told us that don't turn out to be true i mean look at uh i mean we don't even want to we don't even want to believe bill cosby i was just gonna say bill cosby we don't even want to believe that is a conspiracy right there i mean so that's what i'm saying is like at some point you know um they're not just conspiracy theories. We have been lied to. Yeah. Yeah. And so once by people in power who have the ability to do that, of course. And then once you've been lied to in such a big way, anything that happens, it's like you reverse engineer confirmation bias to make it kind of like, well, why the fuck did this happen? Well, it's like, I mean, just, it's kind of like being in a relationship or like when a parent or someone, when you, when you're betrayed, you don't want to believe that your country, the people that are supposed to take care of you would, oh, maybe not have your best interest. But that's the reality that we live in. Do you think this in any way ties into sort of uh, the women's movement and Me Too in terms of like, what you've been told by men and what a male dominated society has been a bunch of bullshit. And now women are sort of taking back the power in terms of what the narrative is in terms of, I think it's so much deeper than that. I think, um, it just goes back to basic, you know, uh, societal norms, gender, or, uh, social constructions, uh, religion as a tool for mass control. I mean, um, we need (laughs) rules, you ha- society needs rules you need and and how do you have rules okay well we create religion religion yes. is a form to organize and a, a guide for people to live by okay the opiate the, for the masses right but then there's yeah. going to be okay but yeah, that that's a whole nother issue you know what i mean yeah. and then and then there's government okay but then who holds the people at the top accountable um it's all and beyond that it's all about okay what the information we've been handed down from generations of generations, and this was before the the internet movement, so it's basically one big life is just one giant big game of telephone. Yes, and then we have to, as a modern society, fit into these archaic values, mm-hmm. which is just not. This is this is the reaction to that. This is a society. This is uh, norms and. Uh, breaking that's what you're seeing yeah and uh realizing that um 
And I learned this in college. I, I took a human sexuality course. You know, there is more than just man and woman. There are trend, there are intersex and people who are born. It's just like anything else. They can't come out because it's, you know, for them embarrassing. I mean, there's so many things that because we didn't have access to this information or because you weren't able to go to college or whatever that we don't know. Yeah. And it's like we're all getting dumped at this information all at once. Exactly. What is real? What is not? Just in the past 10 years. And it's it's. And that's why mental illness and things like that, because it's a lot. It's a lot yeah. to take in it's a, and on also to try and fit into society mm-hmm. um, that doesn't accept things that may be out of the box. Yeah. And we're all out of the box. Yeah, that makes a lot so, of sense. I Very mean, well said. I don't know. I just, I feel like <laughs> I've just never, I, I just, I've always been a fan of the weird and the, and yeah. the, you know, uh, strange yeah. because I, th- I think it takes bravery to be like that in a mm-hmm. world that just wants you to be Absolutely. a certain way. And when you do your, you do your stamp, you feel, uh, you feel that that's what you're going for. You're, you feel like you're kind of like trying to break outside of the boxes that you're put in and, and, and make it have some sort of, I guess a lot of people like what was, uh, sometimes I think about what is the significance of, of, of my comedy? I'm telling the dick joke. Like, what's what's the? Sometimes I hit with like, what's the point? And then I go, well, the point is, if I make people laugh because mm-hmm. they had a shitty day, that's enough. And then there's some people who go, well, there has to be a, a higher consciousness to what you're doing out there. I think that, I think that comedy, it's like anything else. It's an experience. So I think maybe in the beginning, my intention is going to be, my intention is always going to be to make people laugh. Yeah. Maybe it's with a dick joke in the beginning when I first started out, but at the end, maybe I'll have some underlying message and that's what my comedy will mature to sure. with the intention of always to make people laugh. And I would, that is my goal is to, okay, what is, I want to tell my story. I want to, I want to share my truth through my comedy. I don't want to ever preach cause I'm not an expert in anything. Yeah. Um, I'm just a, a girl who likes to smoke weed and make people laugh. Um, maybe have a couple liberal arts degrees but again i'm no <laughs> expert uh but yeah i mean i think if you're a good comedian and you have a long career you'll see the evolution of that you know what once started off as a dick joke became Becomes. something yeah of a greater message so so uh i know this is kind of maybe a hacky question but give me five years from now or 10 years from now where do you see either your comedy evolving or your career evolving what is the next step for you that you're looking at I mean, I definitely want to have a special, I want to be more, I want to get mains, I want to have a mainstream voice. I want to take whatever it is that I'm doing to like, you know, I want to, you know, be on TV or have a more internet audience or whatever. Um, Are your parents fans? Are they fans? Um, Well, they haven't disowned me. I'm still invited to Thanksgiving. Nice. Um, uh, my dad did say he was proud of me a couple of days ago. So That's that huge. Pretty beautiful. I think a lot of comics never hear that <laughs> from their parents. I know. I was like, uh, you know, this is uh, this is a moment. I'm gonna take it. <laughs> and then I, and then like a couple of days later, I really royally pissed him off. But that's just on brand for me. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but I mean, I just, I just want to continue to grow as a comic, and I want to. I just love making people laugh, and. Um, and just, you know, have, ha- I just love it. I want it to take yeah. care of me and I want to, you know, be a part of this community and. Yeah. 
Well, I got to say, Rachel, yeah. I, I hear nothing but great things about you. I've seen you on stage. You kill. Your memes are hilarious. Thank you. And uh, I, I can't wait to see what happens to you. I think you're going to be a, a big star. So what uh, what do you have to plug here? We don't have maybe oh, the next, man. next uh, 2019 type of plug. Oh, gosh. Um, well, obviously, my social at Wolfie Comedy and at Wolfie Memes. That's mm-hmm. W-O-L-F-I-E. Um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I just, I get, I get a lot of stage time. So I'm very fortunate for that. And I, I really want to utilize that. So I, I try to post my shows. Um, mm-hmm. Come see me at a bar. Come see me at a club. Come see me at a garage. Mm-hmm. Smoke a joint, you know. Um, <laughs> I have I have people that come out. I'm very lucky. I have, you know, my followers support me. Yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm having, I'm taking it one show at a time, you know, one mic at a time. Yeah, well, you're great. Thank you so much for, for coming out. Me. Very yeah, nice to awesome. see you and hang out. Meow. Let's pound it. All right, guys. That is Rachel Wolfson. Once again, check her out at at uh, at at Wolfie Wolfie memes. Say it again. Wolfie memes. Wolfie memes. And what's your other one? Wolfie comedy. And Wolfie comedy. All right, that's it. Signing off from the afterlife. Bye bye. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. After laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>